Greetings, rulers. We have a very special two-part episode coming at you this weekend. I was joined by the dissident peasant, uh, aka Jeff in Georgia, for you Majority Report listeners, at Jeff His Dudeness on Twitter. Really smart guy and uh, someone who's got a lot of uh, great thoughts and opinions at this particular moment in American life. We discussed uh, student debt forgiveness, $2,000 stimulus checks, uh, promises kept and promises broken, as well as uh, Death Note, Psychopaths, Demon Slayer. You got you to hit on a little bit of the anime here and there. This is part one. For the second part, we were joined by Professor Harvey J.K., uh, and that episode will be dropping very soon. Today's intro song is from Arumi Osono and Friends from his fantastic album Pacific. The name of the song is Kiska. And for the outro of part one, we will be listening to just a few seconds of an alternate take of Devo's Find Out. So without any further ado, this is Night Rule. Because I remember like Sam Cedar didn't know how to use anything else. That was the first time I, I ended up installing it because there's like literally no other way to do an interview with him. Yeah. <laughs> this is a long time ago. I'm so but I'm so honored that I'm 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 the I'm the participating in the first ever uh Zoom Zoom call that Jeff and Georgia has been in. Like this is like a precious moment. This is like your initiation into the grim dystopic uh simulacra of pain that uh, we're all gonna be living in for the next 30 to 40 years. I mean, I have been living in that simulacrum of pain, if, as you call it, uh, just just with a different proprietary branded software. Uh, right. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's like, um, I don't know what you mean. I'm actually, I am losing my fucking mind. It's, it's at this point, just because it's been almost a year of what seems like basically sitting around at home waiting for something to happen and, and nothing seems to ever happen. It's kind of like that um, that Fred Savage, Judge Reinhold movie, Vice Versa, where like they switch bodies, the son and like the parent. It's like we're all it's like we all still have our adult bodies, but we've been transported into the lives of teenagers, except we're grounded. And even though we're adults, we don't have any jobs or money so or friends, so we can't do anything. It's like it's like we're 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 like stuck in our rooms, even though we're in like our 30s and 40s and, and up. It's very exactly. Strange. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the funniest stuff. There's not that much funny about the pandemic, but the funniest stuff was right when it started, when every celebrity decided that what the world really needed to heal right then in their isolation was just a lot of, you know, pictures and videos of them in their huge houses and fancy bathtubs and, you know, just crying into the camera all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. <it> <laughs> 
There was a, there were some cringe moments there for sure. I mean, I think some of them. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really diplomatic and 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 uh, nice and say some of them probably meant well. I'm sure, but <laughs> I mean, a lot of people said it, it was just a thing about how celebrities are just like, oh fuck, like our, our movies can't come out, we can't film anything. We gotta we gotta remind people we're still around. We gotta do something to remain in the public consciousness. You know. I mean, I think that's most of it, but I actually think a lot of them they they can't help it. They really do think that. No, I mean they kind of have to. Are you, to do are, their are job. you telling Are you telling me that a proportion of actors and actresses in Hollywood are yeah. de, are somewhat delusional or self deluded? No, I've never all, heard of this. No, there's no all way. Pathological narcissists or whatever. By the no. way, you know what I, I just yeah. <laughs> you know what I just realized? It's kind of insane. Well, uh, on the okay, so you, you go to the Zoom website. Uh, the video for it. Um, Okay. To like introduce you to Zoom to like probably get to, to pay them money and stuff. Yeah. It, it has four. Uh, it's like it's like a video that has a screen grab of four different images, uh, and one of them is the same. Uh, the majority report was Sam Cedar because they use Zoom as like their. <laughs> as like their really favorite. wow yeah, like their featured fucking thing. I just noticed this anyway. I'm sure you didn't want to. No, no, no. That's interesting. Um, well, to be honest, like that's really fascinating. Wow, uh, that that means like I mean I'm I've been a huge fan of Majority Report. Actually, that's a good segue. Um, welcome to our nineteenth night rule, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we're very pleased to be joined by the dissident peasant Jeff in Georgia. Can I be honest? Like some of my favorite moments on Majority Report were hearing those sweet those sweet words, those dulcet tones of, "Hello, Sam. It's Jeff in Georgia." Uh, ahoy there. Thank you for having me. And I'm still working on Sam to learn my area code by heart. Not quite there yet. He knows Ronald Reagan's for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think he forgets mine sometimes. Well, it's that northern elite bias, you know, he just he just any, anything, anything, uh, you know, in the south is just like impossible for him to remember because he just he just regards it to him like uh, the United States is like Brooklyn and L.A. And that's it, I'm sure. Yeah, yank five bullshit. That's what it is. Yeah. What's funny is in real life, the worst bias I'd say is not by Yankees, but anyone in the state uh, who lives in Atlanta versus anyone out of it, which is about half, half. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the divide between Atlanta and and its environs uh, is, is, is really something I've heard. Like a 20 minute drive, uh, you see like a huge difference, right? Just culturally and politically and, and in other ways, right? Is that correct? Yeah, and it's, and in terms of versus the rest of the state, it is like a different country within a country. And I don't mean that like necessarily Atlanta is, I'm, I'm not really talking about Atlanta being governed badly or anything. Um, although like the way our state is set up, it is necessary for the Republicans to give you know, rural Georgia and suburban Georgia, like more voting weight than they really deserve. But I really just mean like people who live in and around the urban core and the suburban ring that is still doing pretty well uh, versus everyone else in the state. They really are like living in different places, talking to different people in some ways, mm. uh, just because for about a generation now, at least all the material prosperity in the state that's grown in that time has basically been in and around Atlanta and nowhere else. Uh, so if you're in that half of the state, like things have gone one way for you. And if you're not, then things have gone another way. Well, reflecting, you know, the overall kind of economic development of kind of a neo, you can't even call it neo-colonial because it's internal. There's like, you know, all the assets and I, you know, I'm no economist, but I, but I do know it's fairly well understood that since the eighties, 
with uh, all kinds of deregulation and, and whatnot, just all the money has gone to the cities, you know, like all the money's in San Francisco, LA, New York, and Washington, and the conduits between them. And then the rest of the country is kind of like a colony almost. I'm really glad that neither of us are economists. And so you're not going to ask me to explain GameStop to anybody right now. Oh, no kidding. Well, that's all anyone wants to talk about. So I just want to say that first. Yeah, that's uh, all uh, like in terms of like, like leftist discord right now is everyone just like, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it actually does kind of matter to me a little. We don't have to get into it. But, oh, it's uh, super interesting. I mean, like, I, yeah. I just I, I understand it enough to just grasp the like bare fundamentals. But I do know it's completely unprecedented in terms of like the stock market and whatnot. So I'm really curious to see how like uh, the system adapts to it. Yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, uh, apparently like if if um, if these hedge funds are, are more uh, discreet about, you know, their shorts and whatnot, because uh, I guess like in, if you buy them in certain ways, you have to disclose it publicly. And that's kind of like exposed them to these people on Reddit who know what were able to figure out what they were shorting. But uh, yeah, it makes it's 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 fucking crazy to be honest. Like the entire financial like media has their hair on fucking fire. Yeah, it is. It really is kind of fascinating to me. I, and I don't know if this is true, but okay. So I've read that basically what happened with GameStop is like the the short position on that stock was something like one hundred and thirty percent of the amount of stocks that even existed. Right. Like, so, and these hedge funds, like they shorted a stock over and they're, and they're just allowed to do that. And that happens all the time. The, the problem is, is that like, in this case, a bunch of people like noticed eventually and bought and then a whole held with their stimulus checks. It seems like to me, I think that that's kind of cool. I don't, I don't really have any hope that there seem to be a lot of people out there just like, yeah, stick it to the man. This is how we're all going to get our money. Like slow down there guys. It's not, not going to work that way like most of you who hold are probably going to end up getting out at the wrong time that's just how it tends to work the house always wins right um but that being said like you <clears throat> know heighten the contradictions sort of way where like literally it takes what like a day and a half of trading for the entire full weight and force of the federal government's eyes at least to be like turn to this problem and they're like monitoring the situation in the white house and already talking about what on earth kind of rules they're going to have to try to pass to prevent this sort of manipulation that i you know i think that they probably let go on with professional traders for a long time right like the only difference now is that it's like happening in the open yeah i mean at least since uh, it's, it's certainly been at a, at a pretty crazy pace at least since uh, clinton deregulated commodities trading um or uh, kind of he did he did to that what he did to Glass-Steagall, which was basically remove regulations to kind of keep uh, keep the system a little more accountable. I mean, hopefully this being such a huge, huge, huge a news story leads to like a greater awareness of uh, of in people's minds of some of the nefarious aspects of, of like commodities futures and trading and whatnot and the stock market but um i'll be honest with you i don't have a lot of hope for that i think that's asking a little too much but what's uh, like but like the the, <laughs> the system is going to have to have some kind of response to this like i actually view yes. this almost on the same level as almost on the same level as the storming of the capital on january 6th it's like an unprecedented manifestation of internet culture upon uh, a political or economic system that's unprecedented and is, is kind of a shock to the powers that be you know and 
I well, I, I'm a little hesitant with your analogy, but it does make me think that another reason they're the, sort of the same in this limited way is that in both cases, I think the groups responsible for the phenomenon are actually pretty small and disorganized and not that powerful, um, which is to say that the systems they're attacking, you know, the U.S. Capitol building in one case and the stock market in the other, these hedge funds maybe, they uh, – our institutions are increasingly unstable and rickety. And it doesn't actually take that much effort to, like, tip the cow over. Oh, exactly. Exactly, and that, yeah. And that's kind of what's, like, really – that's Troubling. that's the thing yeah. that's frightening to me about it. Not that I blame these, like, Redditors or anything like that. Oh no! I mean, and obviously, like we're—I'm sure we're both politically more aligned with the the like Wall Street bet Reddit than we are, obviously, with like the Boogaloo I have no idea. Whatnot, See, who, who stormed the Capitol? Like, but the weakness no of the institutions what, is, is the no underlying idea what, thing. I have no idea what Wall Street bets uh, subreddits politics can be said to be, though. I really have—I have no idea. I think I think they're pretty like liberal, like centrist left to like far left. I would say. I mean that. I mean that seems to make sense. They're definitely like anti-establishment. I mean they definitely be at least like regular shitheads and not elites. And that's it's always. Well, it is the internet. Keep in mind. I mean, like this is this yeah. is the thing. Like it's the weak. And again, I'm really glad you brought this up and, and talked about the weakness of the institutions because it really reminds me of the fact that we saw fucking plastered across newspapers the fucking National Guard troops that have been brought into the Capitol sleeping in goddamn garages, and it's like, like this is this is the the world's. Uh, like, like most powerful country in history, you know, this unprecedented level of power. And not only do like a bunch of QAnon cultists like storm the Senate and whatnot, um, the troops that have been called in to try and like maintain order are, are like, you can't get them a fucking roof over their head and a bed. Like what is going on? That is kind of crazy. Although I have read and being the son of a, of a military man, Actually, although I myself wouldn't wouldn't be a great wouldn't make a great soldier probably. Uh, I've I've heard people say that like well, like they actually have like cots and shit they could have brought, but uh, for the amount of time they were gonna be there on duty, the soldiers themselves would have found it a pain in the ass to carry them. I've heard. Right. And so the soldiers themselves would have been like the ones who would say like actually we'll just sleep on the floor in a big cuddle puddle. I know that sounds bizarre, and I'm not sure I believe it, but, but I can see it at least being possible. Yeah, it sounds say, possible. I will say, though, like, whatever, like, you know, conditions they were there under or not, like, they were still in the Capitol through inauguration, basically putting the capital of the world's mightiest and richest empire ever under military occupation after a bunch of yahoos broke inside because they were basically let inside and allowed to run rampant. Like that's how kind of fucked up America is. And the last thing I wanted, the last point I wanted to make is my height and the contradiction sort of thing. It's just that like the government's already reacting to this trade stuff. It reacted pretty quick to the insurrection, at least like Congress did. They're doing the impeachment, et cetera. Mm. But in terms of the pandemic's response and the desperation that regular people feel every day to the point where, you know, not to like bring everybody down, but like I, I've checked out like these unemployment subreddits, right? right. Of, of people who, you know, just like weren't getting their unemployment 
for whatever reason, they couldn't get it. They didn't qualify or at least they were told they didn't qualify or they didn't get their stimulus, whatever. And like, they just can't pay their bills and they have no, they had no idea what to do. And they have no idea like what kind of future is in store for them. Like those sorts of crises in America, they've not been considered crises, but a few people rating uh, GameStop short positions or, you know, not to minimize the capital break in, but in the end of the day, at the end, like, I don't think it was, you know, that it's not like they toppled the American government or whatever, but the reaction has been very swift for regular people who suffer all the time. The reaction, not, not so swift, pretty, pretty sclerotic. Yeah. Not much, not much hustle in that, in that run, you know? No. And, and it's, it's sad because, uh, man, I'm maybe revealing a little too much personal, but I'm, I'm a little old for the internet. It feels like sometimes, because I'm 35. Uh, oh, you're so younger not, than me. You're not well, old for the internet at all. Oh, I, I know. I'm not really. I'm not really old for the internet, but I feel. I think old you're old for, for the world. You're you're an old soul. You're world weary. That's what it is. There is that, but I'm also kind of old for internet culture. Maybe maybe it's just like the circle of people that I follow uh, and am friends with. But I just. I feel, even though I do feel a little bit old for because I'm not a Zoomer, but I'm not a Gen Xer or anything. Yet, like, this has been the case, this lack of real response to anything that affects regular people's you know, lives by the government. It's been true. It's my, my entire life. My entire mm. life, more or less. Like, and I'm, and I'm 35, like, which is not to say I'm an old man, but I'm not a young man anymore. Right. And I was always proud that you weren't. I was always very proud that you weren't a shorter man, though. I am pretty short. In real no, life. It's, a, it's a Simpsons reference. Um, <laughs> oh, I love the Simpsons. One thing yeah. I did during the pandemic is rewatch a bunch of old Simpsons. Oh, uh, good for you. Yeah. Well, there's nothing, nothing new that's, that I wanted to watch coming out, really. So that's good. That's good kind of ballast for uh, for the soul. Actually, do you need some recommendations? Are you do you have Netflix or, or access to uh, I was watching Internet connection? I was you should watch uh, Demon yeah. Slayer if you, if you haven't seen Slayer. that. Oh fuck, man! So it's the number one. So the, there's this one series. You know, it's based on a manga. First series of the anime has like 26 episodes or something, and then the movie just came out in Japan. So during the pandemic, it beat out Shin Godzilla to become the highest-grossing film all time in Japan during a pandemic. It's pretty amazing. And like, I, dab- I dabble in so good. Anime. I dabble oh, a little bit in me. Honestly, like some some people were trying to get me to watch it for a while, and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And now I'm like 10, 15 episodes in, and I'm like already can't wait to 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 get into the second watch of it because it's like it's very intense. Like it's a really intense story. The art is incredible. The like lore and world building is all really, really incredible. And then it has these has really fantastic little uh punches of comedic relief, like really like. Uh, strongly delineated okay now we're gonna have like two minutes of comic relief in the midst of this intense story where there's human eating demons everywhere that are fucking like ripping people's heads off all the time like it's pretty gory too i see i'm not much of an anime aficionado i have some friends who definitely check it out more into it than me i do like some of that stuff i i'm i'm mostly like to be honest with you my favorite animes are still like kind of normie animes and it may be because uh, when I was younger and there was less anime around that you could find and watch on the internet mm. on TV, uh, just like fewer shows tended to stick out as like really good, I think. 
Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an anime elitist or anything. Which which one were you saying? I, I was going to mention Cowboy Bebop, of course. It's kind of like oh, fantastic. Classic. But probably the probably believe it or not, like personally, my favorite is as flawed as it is is the Death Note series. Oh, I love Death Note. Um, yeah, the original Death Note cartoon is or anime is great. Obviously, it gets it, everyone knows exactly when things go off the rails. Uh, sure. Because it's because everybody knows you can tell if you ever watch the story. So I, I, I don't even need to spoil it. About two thirds through, you'll know exactly when you should probably just stop watching, and that is definitely when you should probably stop watching. Although, if you want to keep watching just to see like the sort of goofiness that comes out next, it's fine. But uh, that's that's probably the uh, <laughs> like those are two. That's my, great. Like, no, those are normie. Those are normie. No, they are. So not, I, I, I'm. I, I don't know. I don't know where. Like, I don't. I don't. Um, you know, I don't uh, differentiate between the high culture and low culture of anime. It's all the same. You know, it's all Death art. Note, well, Death Note kind of fascinates me just because it. It usually it brings up questions about uh, like morality a little bit. Oh, oh and, yeah. We should. I mean, we should just tell people. Okay, so Death Note is uh, <laughs> yeah. a manga and an anime. So in the first episode, uh, one of the uh, there's these gods of death that live in I don't know the uh, the underworld or whatever, and they have these notebooks they use to write down people's names to like determine when they die. And one of them drops his notebook down to earth, and this high school kid finds it. So it's like this notebook called the death note and it's got instructions in the cover that says, you know, the rules basically that govern it. You know, if you write, if you write someone's name within 60 seconds, they'll die. Um, and you, you think, Oh, it's going to become some kind of like uh, a, like morality tale where he's like tortured with this power. He's like, should I use it? Blah, 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 blah. But like, it doesn't go that way at all. <laughs> you know? No, he's, this, this he story, just happens straight up to be like a sociopath, basically. Yeah, yeah. And the story <laughs> and the plotting in like the first season, it's just, you know, it's an incredible like like pot boiling, like detective story almost, but like mixed with like this wonderful anime with great art. And I think I think the manga, some people say the manga art is 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 better because a lot of people recommend the manga of Death Note because it is such a talky one. Yeah. You know, um, but if you if, if you if you enjoyed that, you definitely have to watch Demon Slayer. And I'm definitely going to also recommend Psychopaths, which is uh, another one that's I think is probably still on Netflix. Did you watch the Cowboy Bebop movie though that came out? Uh, are you talking about the old one from yeah, a long time it came ago? Yeah, it came out like 2003 or four or something, like right after the show ended. Yeah, I've seen it. It was oh, so good. I, I wasn't say. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me like. Uh, yeah, it actually like really sucked. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I loved it. I mean, because to be honest, the like the denouement, the ending of Cowboy Bebop, the show, was kind of hard to take. Like, it has a little bit of a sad ending. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just gonna be honest. And then it does but, not. But I, yeah, I felt like the movie actually had this incredible like, uh, like transcendent ending that just made me feel so much better about the whole the whole story. Like, I don't know if you remember how the movie ends, but. I, I do. I yeah. I was just gonna say to me the the movie is is great because it just feels like a long episode, mm. and and there's really like nothing wrong. Well, most of the Cowboy Bebop episodes I found like their arcs are actually like incredibly well timed. Like every mm -hmm. you know everything goes up down uh, all the acts like everything lines up, and the movie is just that, but it's longer. So there's like more action scenes and fight scenes and jokes and most importantly for me of course is the music which is oh, so uh, good yeah uh, yoko kano and the seatbelts even if you don't like anime just like go listen to some random tracks from the uh audience if you want to they're quite uh fun and 
I like things that are sort of a little bit different. So, yeah. All right, we're gonna rec we're gonna recommend four animes to the audience: Cowboy Bebop, which is a combination of a detective show with a science fiction show with a western with a with a martial arts show, and then so it has a jazz for, jazz soundtrack, right? That's for like the, yeah, that's for like the babies. If you're not yeah. into anime at all, give it a try. You'll like it probably. Yeah. And then Death Note is like the one, it's like, it's like, it was, if you're not, if you haven't watched it by now, you should watch it right away just to catch up because it's, it's what everyone was watching like 10, 15 years ago. It's really good. And then, uh, yeah, the new one is Demon Slayer and then Psychopath. So have you ever watched Psychopath? That's like a kind of um, dystopic science fiction one where like the police have these like guns and they can like scan people's like baseline criminality. So they'll only shoot them if their like crime coefficient is over a certain number it's so good. oh shit that so sounds good. awesome i mean not not awesome like i want to live there but <laughs> it's, it's one of my all-time favorite dystopic stories and it's cool because like the cops actually they themselves like if, if like a normal person like a like a, a cop was to was to wield the like cop's gun that shoots people that that will actually increase their baseline criminality just by doing that so what they do is they hire ex-criminals to work under the cops and they're the ones that hold the guns it's like oh shit yeah. Yeah. and then like in the first episode you know they're chasing this guy down and they're like their, their guns can't read him and they're like what the fuck but like that also has a really good um movie that that uh, ends it after the because i think it's two seasons and then a movie like seriously the japanese just have really good taste in like a lot of like art you know and like they're the only country where bridger bridgerton is a Brigger, bridgerton or whatever so there was a big story that came out today that like Bridgerton was the highest rated Netflix show ever, except in Japan, <laughs> in, every, in every country except Japan. Because in Japan, in Japan, they're too busy watching fucking Demon Slayer. I'm sure before um, that it was probably like reruns of The Office. Yeah, I have been uh, looking for things to watch uh, during the pandemic. Because uh, yeah, yeah, like I like I said, not trying to be sound like old man Simpson here, but uh, a lot of the all of the stuff that's come out in the past year has been I what what little there's been at least I have not found particularly uh, engaging. Although yeah. I will say, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is hilariously bad. Everyone mm. should watch it. Everyone should watch it. No one should pay to watch it. <laughs> you, uh, well, you don't think you don't think like a magical wishing dildo is like a, a good plot device? Oh man, I. I can't believe you're letting me talk so much about media. This is great. I spent all day like reading about history and trying to. This is this is night roll. It's a, it's a, <laughs> the, the culture of politics and the politics of culture, man. Yeah, please. I mean, we'll get uh, we'll get back to politics in a bit, though. Don't worry. Well, to me, honestly, like uh, there's some there's some politics in Wonder Woman 1984 for sure, but the uh, the magic wishing dildo and the villain in that movie was like the most compelling stuff to me. I mm. actually loved that stuff as, as like goofy as it was, I kind of wanted them to explore it more, uh, especially as things got more and more outlandish, but there's so much in that movie that is like overstuffed and uh, kind of insane mm. uh, to, to watch. It's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination to me, but it is, it is so bad it's good to me mm -hmm. i uh but the the obvious like trumpian overtones to to the guy and his power pascal's and, character yeah yeah it was it was who 
by the way, was ridiculous. His accent was all over the place. I could not figure out what was going on with that guy. Oh, it was amazing. But uh, yeah, like, you know, the climax in the movie when he's literally standing in front of a seal that reads the president of the, you know, the office of the president or something like that. And that, and that broadcast device. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I found it pretty, pretty obvious what they were trying to do. Some people have said that the, uh, you know, the Trumpian overtones are just being read because like, that's what's on everyone's mind. But I disagree. I think it was clearly on the creator's minds in that scene too, because, uh, you know, she's basically, she basically defeats him with a Captain Picard speech, which don't get me wrong, I love a good Captain Picard speech. Oh, are you a TNG guy? Oh, I have to have, <laughs> have to talk Star Trek sometime. What about Deep Space Nine? Do you, do you watch Deep Space Nine? I'm not that big a, that big a Star it. Trek nerd. I'm sorry. I'm well, I'm not even- to talk about Deep Space Nine with me. I think, I think if I keep on saying Deep Space Nine, I'm gonna get actually just jettisoned metaphorically out of like uh, existence because nobody wants probably... to talk to me. Fuck off with those animes first and just watch more Star Trek. This has been many, many years. I'm not that big a Star Trek nerd. I I love a good uh, Picard type speech though. I I really do. The problem in this movie is that like nothing seems to make any sense. It's all a little bit cheesy. And I know, we're not I watching. To, yeah, I'm watching a bunch of last minute editing and stuff too, right? Yeah, and you're not you're not watching a Star Trek movie. You're watching a superhero movie. Like the superheroes are supposed to win with a speech. Superheroes are supposed to win you know by being a superhero i think uh <laughs> no the superhero is supposed to win by by getting the uh the villain to crumble on the stand under cross-examination you know and they say i did it <laughs> yeah. okay i did it and i'm glad i did it and yeah. i do it again you tell you hear yeah it, it 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 felt very uh i use this word pejoratively in this sense sometimes sorry it felt very liberal to me uh, <laughs> that's okay i mean yeah, uh, we can. I use, sometimes we can, use, we can use liberal in the pejorative sense. I mean, I'm, I I'm pretty sure that's how. Yeah, that's how exactly. I I, here, right? I I just don't know how you guys feel on Night Roll Podcast, but for no, me, I mean, I, I identify I, I as a Bolshevik. But, okay, um, right on. Yeah. We're simpatico then. We're good. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't identify as a leftist though. I'm closer to a socialist than a leftist. Like I think people should have uh, you know food, clothing, water, maybe an education. You know, maybe some health care. Maybe yeah. that might be a way to invest in our future. Um, I would, I would be happy to uh, talk about these labels. I, I, I love to do that. But I was, <laughs> I was just gonna say, for my part, like I still have a bit of lib left in me too, even though I too consider myself a socialist now. Um, but I, I, and I sometimes think libs, especially when they stay in their lanes, more to speak, because there's a lot of libs who are just like lawyers or uh, social workers of some kind, or like doctors, psychologists, professors, teachers, something like this. Uh, you know, when they're focused on like, you know, their professions and whatever, whatever they need and the sort of working class movement around that, that's all fine, they're all good. It's when they start talking about, you know, uh, the high-minded sacredness of our uh, institutions and in Congress, like during the insurrection, that I get like queasy. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, okay, now I now I kind of smell your ideology a bit because uh, you know, to me, like, yeah, you know, just because I don't uh, side with the insurrectionists, for example, doesn't mean that I think the halls of Congress are a place where anything good gets done very often. <laughs> mm. uh, I 
what you, what you said about like considering yourself a Bolshevik, uh, I assume like half jokingly because it's not uh, there's no Soviet state to support right now. Oh no, I mean I'm storming the Winter Palace right now. Yeah, kind of jokingly. <laughs> I mean just in just in a sense but that like socialist. I like this. I like this. I, yeah, I, I mean you know. For my part, like I I view these things as like, you know, it's all based on what people mean or whatever. But uh, for me, like I want to. We don't have a lot of time left on this planet as humans. We need to coordinate large actions. The biggest sort of like entities we have around are states. I want control of the state, particularly the one I live in. And I want to do something to socialize like the means of existence and begin to like call ourselves out of this like death spiral that we're in. And that's why, you know, I'm a socialist as opposed to something that's just a vague progressive how do you feel about that word? I, I should ask you this because I, I mean, I, it's, um, I fucking hate it. I'm so I'm, sick of it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not crazy about it. I mean, it's the thing is, it's um, it's used so differently in different contexts. You know, it meant something so different in 2006, and it means something right. different to different people. You know, the Progressive Caucus, for example, is not not what, what most you know. It's not what TYT means when they say progressive. I uh, yeah. I mean, that's why I choose. That's why I chose Bolshevik. I mean. Uh, and also like leftist, I have a little bit of an issue with just because I don't know what it means. It means it means like a to me it means like almost like too much of a hodgepodge of positions in in the same way like being a conservative is just a hodgepodge of like cultural and social positions. And I want like a little more clarity. Yeah. And even though like you know left is best hashtag totally and all that stuff. And like obviously I'm on the left side of the political spectrum, but in terms of like leftism leftist, I just I want more specificity. I think some of the problem I have with leftists, which is fine in some contexts, I think, but is that the con- the conflation that bothers me a lot is that I'm not always sure when the person's talking if they mean to include liberals or not. Because if they, and by that I specifically mean like uh, people who might be left, but who are still married to like a market system and commodities and capital uh, capitalism as opposed to socialism. Uh, and because like, if, if they're lumped in, depending on like the issue or, uh, situation that you're talking about, like their attendance in the coalition becomes problematic. I think, uh, like when, when you're organizing against say a fascist or proto-fascist right wing in America, then like calling liberals part of the left or even like part of a leftist movement in America, et cetera, like is maybe fine. When you start handing them influence and power in the halls of government and Congress, I I the I, I see them fuck things up every time. And they yeah. become they become more and more like the obstacle. Because there's the other thing about them is like they're not just capitalists, they're institutionalists, which I think for in America, like, is the more salient point because it is our institutions that are like upholding capitalism and are the acting as the governing arm of capitalism and the lever that we need to grab to stop it. And liberals are queasy about that sort of thing because, fr- at least the ones in Congress, frankly, they really do believe all that bullshit about the American pat flag and the pot and pie. And, uh, you know, the goodness of America's military and our foreign policy and uh, et cetera, et cetera, like a bunch of, uh, frankly, nonsense, right? <laughs> like mm. that makes them like resistant to B 
being productive members of the coalition. I think that's what you're seeing in Congress right now, for example. And that shit sucks because people need $2,000. Well, actually, that reminds me. So uh, that's a perfect segue. We're so simpatico. So in terms of like liberal incompetence, um, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, they the Democrats campaigned pretty heavily in Georgia saying that they were that they were going to give everyone two thousand dollar checks. And now that they've backtracked on that and been like, oh, no, I meant we meant another fourteen hundred on top of the existing six hundred, blah, 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 blah. People are pretty incensed about that. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I mean. I think the basic story that people have in their minds, and frankly, like they're not wrong, it's basically what happened. It's how I think things is that, uh, it, in Georgia at least, because the, the National Democrats a little bit more waffly on it. But yeah, no, I'm definitely interested in the Georgia perspective. I mean, Georgia is the is at the is kind of the vanguard of like a possible new like left kind of. Like I know movement, from right? from us. I mean, it's yeah, it seems that way. Uh, mostly the actions in Atlanta, because like that's where the suburbs are really. Uh, have been changing demographically. And so like, there's a lot of new voters there as opposed to where I'm at I'm in our plus 15 districts. So it's not like, you know, there's a tornado of, of, of canvassers outside my door or anything like that. But uh, also often Warnock themselves, specifically in their literature, their speeches, their campaigns in Georgia, they talking to the press, the $2,000 check thing was pretty relentless. I thought they did a good job actually at the time and i said so uh because they hit it every time i tuned into them and they yeah which is a a great strategy but we're negging on it and now well i don't really blame them necessarily the Mm. democrats like okay interesting well just because i don't well i don't know like they're just they're just getting in and presumably they both want to keep their campaign promise it's chuck schumer who's and joe biden who are holding them up i think that's that's my understanding for now i don't i don't know but talking about the Democrats as a party, of which they are a member, so you know, they're not, I'm not trying to let them off the hook totally. You know, that $2,000 out the door as soon as we you know, get in has become not just $1,400, but $1,400 maybe in March or April. Mm. Like, and that's, I, I think, yeah, people are pretty uh, incensed about that. And they're not... You know, for all my hemming and hawing about, you know, not blaming Ossoff and Warnock for this particular dynamic, people in Georgia don't give a shit. And they're going to vote against the Democrats if this shit keeps up in the mid in the midterms, which it seems like it might. Uh, because right now, the, the liberals in Congress, because they're committed to these institutions and they want bipartisan buy-in, for that reason, like, they're going to spend at least a couple months, it seems, chasing Republican votes in the Senate that will never materialize for their, for their priorities. All while, you know, like things are not good. It's not just that uh, the need is immediate and that we're in an emergency, but like the need is immediate and we've been in an emergency for like 10 months (laughs) and the, and, and the bills and need just keeps like stacking up over time. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm, I think people are right to be. I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I mean, when you're in a desperate situation, on, you've been, you've been lied to. And I worry. I know I've been talking a lot. I just want to say this. I worry a lot on political podcasts about being too blackpilled 
And I don't want people to get like hopeless. Well, no, no, here's, no, I mean, don't worry. I'm going to pull it out of the fire. So my follow-up question is, I mean, let's, and this is something that's kind of been on my mind a little bit. I mean, I think in terms of political strategy, um, the wise thing to do at this point for the Democrats would be to really try and just move beyond bipartisanship, because let's be honest, since the Newt Gingrich era, the, uh, the Republicans have been totally intransigent and like obstructionist. So when, when that goes on for like 20 years, you have to kind of look at yourself and say, okay, we're going to need a new strategy. And I think, um, you know, what, what would that look like if, if we, if, if we had a better, a better, say more of a progressive strategy or more of a, more of a uh, democratic socialist strategy, like how, because this is what this is what the the centrist wing of the party does. You know, you saw the same thing in the midterms. Uh, you know that Obama and, and Rahm Emanuel uh, under like a, their their whole election strategy there in the midterms, like temporary gains that are just easily lost. You know, um, so, so like, like we, we have this amazing victory in Georgia, and they're totally squandering it just by being. But by by sticking to this idea of bipartisanship, like how how do we move? How do they move beyond bipartisanship without looking like without without kind of becoming the the as demonic as the as the Republicans have become? You know, I think I think I, I think I understand your question now. Sorry. Okay, I th- I think um, I'm gonna try to stay realistic, but uh, what seems possible to me and what could happen, and this would be good, I think, is. It does seem like, unlike Obama in 2008 and nine, um, at least the people around Joe Biden in the center of the Democratic Party, they seem more aware of, of what happened the last time they tried this with Obama. And they don't even have Obama anymore, right? And all they have is Joe Biden. Um, and so it, it, I do sometimes get the sense that a lot of this really is like play acting and they really do just want to spend a couple weeks showing the Republicans as Interesting. totally, totally intransigent monsters. Now, I do think that, that that's still a waste of time, but if, it, if they only do it for a, a couple weeks or maybe a month and then they get onto the business of like doing what they can through uh, reconciliation, and more importantly to me, the exec- executive orders, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll talk about uh, that in a second, but yeah, um, I think that may be what happens, because I think coupled with this realization of and memory of how they treated Obama in Congress on the Republican side is is a real idea that like, at least for some of the Democrats, even in the center, like pandemic has freaked them out and they're seeing that huge number of deaths and an economy that you know is acting incredibly strangely in terms of the stock market let's just leave it at that for now uh even GameStop aside like it's been still I believe in the middle of one of the I mean basically the longest bull run in history Uh and the pandemic you know as as bad as some losses have been some days it's still been basically up, but I, I think they recognize that things are looking very shaky and they've got to deliver relief to people in a lot of different areas. And, and they don't, and they're not going to have, they're not going to have time to indulge in believing that if they want to chase Republican votes that they're never going to get. 
So hopefully this is just like going to be a thing that happens just for the next couple of weeks, maybe a month. And also that like in the meantime, Joe Biden's people in the presidency, which, you know, like it or not under the American system is like incredibly powerful now. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and can just do things at the stroke of a pin that are incredibly easy. Like, yeah. And a lot of it will get uh, tied up in court, but I do think there are tons of things Joe Biden can do um, from the office of the president and his cabinet secretaries can do um, that, that they might actually be planning on doing. Um, student debt cancellation, I think, is going to happen. It's just a feeling to me, but that's that's the most prominent example I can think of. It would be some of the smartest economic stimulus they could do. And I've been following the story I, for a while. I remember, like, at the point in the story, I don't know if you remember this, it was a few weeks ago, but the Biden team, someone on there leaked basically that they were looking at canceling like 10, up to something like up to $10,000 in private student loan debt only, which would exclude about 93% of all student debt. The phrase, the phrase, a drop in a fucking bucket comes to mind. It it was literally like most people wouldn't even see a dime of this relief because most most of that debt and most people's loans are public loans. They're held by the federal government. And the reaction to this on the left and in the democratic press, the progressive press, if you will, <laughs> um, was like pretty, pretty fucking bleak. And then a couple of weeks later, they were like, yeah, uh, no, probably like $50,000 of uh, all of it, including public. And then well, so the, the I federal, I the federal government is the is the main holder of the yes. debt. Like, like yeah. they can do it whenever they want. Ultimately, yeah. A lot of people don't know this has already been litigated in court. Congress already passed a law that says the Treasury Secretary can do this. They can just order this debt like discharged if they want to, at any point. Um, they have that power legally. They could all of it if they wanted to, every single penny, which would be amazing. And they should just totally do, but. I think, you know, they'll probably settle on like 10 grand, 15, 20, I don't know. But they will, it does seem to me, it seems like they're going to do what the left really wants them to do, which is make it universal um, and and include public and private money in that. And that's just one example of something that the president uh, Mm. can do like without Congress having to do anything at all. Yeah. Um, I think on foreign policy, things are, if it, if everyone's looking to stay optimistic and happy, they well, actually, before before we go to foreign policy, <laughs> before we go to foreign policy, I just want to say I think I think also a strategy, and I think it is if it is what they're doing in terms of saying okay, we want to we want to go on, we want to be sure there's a record of us trying to reach out to the Republicans, right? And before we moved on, and I think it reminds me of something Sam Cedar said in his show uh, about the Merrick Garland situation. He basically said, okay, fine. What 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 they should have done is. The, they refused to to give uh, Merrick Garland an up or down vote. Okay, let's bring another nominee and then another and another and another and another just to really demonstrate what is going on here. And I think if they were smart, they would be, you know, say they didn't have quite enough votes to pass the $2,000 stimulus check bill, you know, make the make the Republicans vote against that shit 10 times and make it make it just a single line item on the bill, $2,000 stimulus checks and and put these motherfuckers on the record of like rejecting it, you know, 10, 25, 30 times so that you can run ads against them saying, and then they'll be terrified because they, like you said, they have to deliver to their constituents too, who, you know, 
Republican voters are, are as hurting as much as anyone else. Yeah, you know, uh, the left in the uh, conventional press is a lot of times like slammed for being like naive or like bad at tactics, right? But it was like Bernie Sanders was the one who tried to get the Democratic Party to take hostage on this, like in the run up to the midterms, if people recall, when like he, it wasn't even the defense bill, just like the authorization bill or whatever. It's like, it's not even, it's not even like that big a deal. But the problem was, is like nothing in the Senate could get done. And it was, there was still stuff they wanted to get done for the, end of the year. And he said, nope, I want an up and down vote on $2,000 checks. President Trump says he wants them. And until we get that, I'm not yielding, I'm not yielding. In fact, we're not yielding. It became, we're not yielding. And Chuck Schumer and Jeff Merkley got up there too, I believe. And we're like, yeah, we're not yielding. And then they immediately yielded <laughs> like and pulled the rug out from under everybody. But I think like in the moments before they did that, like that <clears throat> to the degree that like this theater stuff matters uh, to the Democrats, like that, those kinds of plays were the, was the smart play and, and is the smart play. If they're really going to hold up this relief, Hell, you know, make them vote against $2,000. Make them vote against $1,999. Make them vote against $1,998. Like, do, do it prices right style or some bullshit, right? Like, just bring them down $1 every yeah. single fucking yeah. bill. And, exactly. and make them like, okay, well, how about, you know, $1,876? Like, how, how much is too, you know, I mean. I yeah, show, show them to be fiddling while Rome burns, you know, which is what they are doing. You want to do that what for like which a, is what they've been know. doing for years. But you only want, you know, at this point, I feel like maybe some of this boat, maybe it's kind of, the ship has kind of sailed. The Democrats, for example, like the one of the reasons people said to vote for uh, Ossoff and Warnock is just like not to give them an excuse anymore. And uh, they don't have an excuse anymore. They have unified control of government. And I know it's 50-50 in the Senate, but like they're represented by about some uh, tens of millions more people than the Republicans represent in the Senate. Like they are, they have a meaningful democratic mandate. They should exercise it. And if they don't in this period of incredible domestic uh, disturbance, then like not only are they going to lose in 2022, but like we're all going to lose. And it's, it's the us all losing that of course, like, you know, my heart always with the people <laughs> such as I understand them. Yeah.